Today we had our blood drive. We all know the importance of blood. Um, it, I was reading some articles today, and it turns out that blood, in fact, our red blood cells might be the key to figuring out how to um, heal people from the coronavirus. Blood's important. It's necessary for our life. Today, some of us gave our blood. And as we're getting closer to Easter, we've been looking at the blood of Jesus, the places he bled from his hands, from his head, from his feet, from his side, from his forehead. And church history talks about people who have, who have somehow mysteriously shared those wounds. It's called the stigmata. And the last person I wanted to mention about is a nun. She was from Poland. Her name is Fastuna Kowalska. And she received what was called invisible stigmata. So nobody could see it, but she felt the pains. And in her lifetime, two interesting things happened. One, she, she was known as, as a prophet. In fact, before she died, she predicted the coming of World War II. And she also received an image of, in, in, in a vision of crucified Jesus. And in her, it's called the image of divine mercy. And in her picture of Jesus that she saw on the cross, she saw the blood and water flowing out of him like, like rays. And that's what I wanted to talk about today on Good Friday is the blood and water that flowed from Jesus. So I thought she was an appropriate person to talk about. Uh, another thing that that this particular nun was known for was a prayer called the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. And I'm, I want to pray just part of that prayer as we begin our time. It goes like this. O blood and water which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus as a fountain of mercy for us. I trust in you. Eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and for those of the whole world. You expired, Jesus, but the source of life gushed forth for souls and the ocean of mercy opened up for the whole world. Amen. See, Fastuna Kowalski Although she has all these mystical elements to her life, the true mark of Jesus' blood on her life was that she trusted the merciful sacrifice of Jesus as atonement for her sins. She trusted the merciful sacrifices of Jesus as atonement for her sins. And not just for her own sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Our fifth mark that we were talking about of our mark of Jesus' blood on me is that I am restored to full humanity. The Bible calls that restoration the atonement. That's a very Christian word, atonement. And the closest modern language word that I could think of might be the word reparations. That's something we're a little bit more familiar with. But there's an important difference between atonement and reparations that I'll tell you about later. Now, reparations, we don't have reparation laws in the United States. 
See, reparations is when one person or group restores the well-being of another person or group that was damaged. And that's different than restitution. We do have laws for restitution. Restitution is when I take something or damage something and then I restore it back to the person that it belongs to. I'm at fault and so I pay it back. That's restitution and that is part of our law. But reparations are when I'm not at fault. I'm personally not at fault, but I still pay for the damages. And that's, honestly, that's illegal in the United States. I couldn't go to court right now, and if somebody was at their sentencing, say, I will go to jail for that person, or I will take their death penalty. I just can't do that. That's illegal. See, in our court system, somebody does have to pay, but... It has to be the guilty. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. And so in the United States, even though we've had institutions of slavery and we've taken over land previously occupied by various Native American peoples and we have decimated many of their cultures, even though we've had Jim Crow laws, the only group that has legally gotten reparations were the families of Japanese who were put in internment camps during World War II. Reparations is not a normal thing that we do in our society. But Jesus makes reparations. Our passage this evening is John 19, 31 through 37. And I'm going to read that. It says, Since it was the preparation day, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a special day. Then they requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and that their bodies be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and the other one who had been crucified with him. When they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows he is telling the truth. For these things happen so that scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And also another scripture says, they will look on the one they pierced. See, one of the things that just practically this passage tells us is that Jesus really died. Jesus really died. Pilate, the governor, had said multiple times that Jesus was innocent. I mean, even Judas later said that Jesus was innocent. But Jesus was sentenced to death anyway. And the soldier that was at the cross, part of his job as executioner, he was required to be sure that the death sentence was carried out before Jesus' body could be taken away. So the to- soldier takes his, his pillum, his spear. I was going to pick this up, but it, uh, it got some damage today, so I'm going to leave it on the table. He would take that pillum, he took it, and he stabbed it into the heart of Jesus just to be absolutely sure that Jesus was dead. And John, the writer of this account, and witness at the cross, we know John was there, he also wants his readers to know that Jesus really did die. He was really dead, and that fulfilled the scriptures. It fulfilled the scriptures of not one of his bones will be broken. That that quote is from Psalm 34.20, and it's also referenced back to the Passover, because in Exodus 12.46, the 
the bones of the Passover lamb were not to be broken. Also, both Psalm 22, 17 and Zechariah 12, 10 talks about how they would look upon the one that they pierced. So he was not only pierced with the nails, he was also pierced with the spear. And there's also one prophecy that John doesn't mention, but is also important. We usually apply this to the resurrection. Psalm 16, 10 which says, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. And so we use that, we we reference that rightly towards the resurrection, but we also need to realize something about crucifixion. Some of the articles that were brought to crucifixion was pitch and a candle. See, it was not uncommon for someone to be crucified and then set on fire, burned. And that did not happen to Jesus. He was already dead. You know, I remember when uh, I was probably in middle school, and I was out fishing with my dad. We were on the um, in the San Francisco Bay, uh, off the side of a highway, and there was a lot of people fishing out there. But like I said, it was right off a highway, and a deer came jumping out of the woods onto the highway and got hit by a car, and. It looked like it was dead in the street, but there happened to be, uh, sorry, it's kind of graphic, but we're talking about crucifixion anyway. There was a, a truck camper and a bunch of guys jumped out with their knives and they saw this deer and even though we call it roadkill, it had just been killed. So they were thinking, hey, here's some venison. And so they got out their knives and one guy went to go grab this deer from the road and just as he grabbed it at its feet, the deer head popped up and hissed at him and the guy jumped back see it wasn't really dead now it was dead soon after but think about this when Jesus was pierced with that spear he didn't flinch he didn't pop up and say ow Okay, he was really dead When we read the the law given to Moses regarding sacrifices, a sin offering always required blood and death. It was life for life. In that case, an animal life for human life. See, the Apostle Paul writes to us in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus had to really die. And 1 Peter 3.18 puts it this way, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. See, in order to restore me to proper relationship with God, in order to make reparations, so to speak, Jesus had to pay the ultimate price. He had to, and he did, willingly die for me. And that's what we remember and commemorate on Good Friday. Jesus died so that I wouldn't have to. Let's look in particular at John 1934, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. 
Now, this is something that John doesn't have a prophecy to explain. There's no prophecy about blood and water coming out of Jesus. Now, we happen to be at a time during this COVID-19 pandemic where the death toll is supposed to be increasing. You know, several weeks ago, I, I was hearing that people will start to die. I don't know people, some people. But this week, I've been hearing personal stories. Not about just people in general, but individuals that I know personally, at least on some level, saying, my, my dad or my grandmother died from COVID-19 related problems. You know, generally speaking, nobody wants to die. But if we die, we do want our lives and our death to have some meaning. We would like to have finished our business on this earth. So we know Jesus actually died, but so what? Did Jesus' death actually accomplish anything? Well, let's talk about Fatuna Kowalski, Kowalska again. In her, in her image that she saw of Jesus, the divine mercy, there were two rays coming out of Jesus. They denote blood and water. And what she says is the pale ray stands for the water which makes souls righteous, and the red ray stands for the blood which is the life of souls. I think that's an accurate description of the symbolism of the blood and water from Jesus. See, Jesus' blood really pays. Jesus really pays. I remember uh, my wife and I were going to buy a car, and I think this is a little bit more common in Minnesota, but it definitely wasn't common in California where we were. We had two cars, and we sold our two cars to get one car. So we didn't need a loan. But when you go in to negotiate, you don't tell the salesman that. So we negotiated our price, and then the salesman said, Okay, how are you going to pay? And I said, Cash. And the salesman looked at me and he said, You mean green money? And I said, Yes, green money. And he said, I have to go get my manager. He was surprised by that. Jesus, Jesus' real death really pays for my misdeeds against God. But he doesn't pay with green money. He pays with red money. His blood. See, Jesus didn't just die on the cross. He bled. He bled. Hebrews 10.4 says, It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But Hebrews 9.22 also says, According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Blood needed to be shed, but not the blood of an animal. The blood of a pure and spotless person. So Jesus didn't pay with green money. He paid with red money. So when that salesman asked to see my money, I could pay. I had cash. Romans 14.12 tells us, each of us will give an account of himself to God. 1 Peter 
4, 5 also says, they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. That salesman had to look at my money and see if it was real and we are good to go. But one day, I'm going to have to give an account before God. And he's going to say, can you pay? And if I have to give an account before God, I want to trust that my bill is really paid. With red blood. And furthermore, it's not just that my debt is paid, but like reparations, I'm fully restored in my relationship with God and in my own humanity. I'm really restored. I remember the movie Shawshank Redemption. Red, one of the main characters, every year apparently he goes in for his parole hearing and at first we see him early in the movie and and they ask him, is he rehabilitated? And he says, oh yes, I'm rehabilitated. And they always deny his parole. By the time they get to the end of the movie, Red's an old man and they ask him, are you rehabilitated? He says, young man, I don't know what that means. Let me tell you what that means. It's the water. The blood paid for my sins, but the water. The whole Gospel of John, John emphasizes water as life. Jesus says to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, If you knew the gift of God... And who it was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up for him for eternal life. John 7, Jesus at the great feast, he says, The one who believes in me, as the scripture said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. And then just before the crucifixion, in John 13, Jesus poured water in a basin and washed the disciples' feet. I don't mean to make light of the isolation we've been going through, but one of the funny jokes I've seen is people are worried about getting fat during quarantine. You know, we go on diets. I've gone on diets, but then I wonder if I can maintain it after I lose the weight. Maybe it's something more serious. We have an addiction and we get off our addiction and we wonder if we will always be an addict. The promise of Jesus is this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. See, the new has come. In 1 Thessalonians 3.13, it's put this way. He May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And that's the truth. Also in 1 Thessalonians, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That sets you apart for, for good. And may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept in sound, be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more, Colossians 1, 21 and 22. 
You who are once alienated and hostile in your minds, expressing your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. We're not just paid, we're made new and restored. John Calvin put it this way, True atonement, the blood for forgiveness, and the water for washing. You know, I said at the start of this that there's an important difference between reparations and atonement. See, if if someone damages me, then I may need reparations in the future. I need to be restored. But when I do damage to someone else, then I need atonement. So we need to understand, when I say Jesus makes reparations, Jesus doesn't make reparations to me. Jesus makes reparations to God for me. And then gifts me with atonement. Let's stick with our analogy. You know, reparations are the taking of a life from a bad situation to good, from marred humanity to full humanity. And I'm sure there are some people listening that can relate to that. Maybe your life is messed up or has been messed up and you need to be restored to full humanity. Jesus can do that. But what if my life is okay or even pretty good? Well, let's go back to the idea of the Japanese who received reparations. You know, not every Japanese family that received reparations were currently in dire straits. You know, the marring of their families happened in the past, and to some degree, I imagine many families had recovered. But the reparations were designed to bring them into fullness. The fact of the matter is, all humanity is marred, no matter how good I think my life may be going. And why, of course I want to go from bad to good, but why wouldn't I want to go from good to best? From mostly to complete. I want to close in prayer one more bit from from the chaplet of divine mercy. Eternal God, in whom mercy is endless and the treasury of compassion inexhaustible, look kindly upon us and increase your mercy in us that in difficult moments we might not despair nor become despondent, but with great confidence submit ourselves to your holy will, which is love and mercy itself. Amen.